Hello and welcome to the Rationable Podcast, your weekly deep dive into how science and critical thinking make you immune to scams, fads and hoaxes. I am your host, Abhijit. Let's dig in. Today we're going to talk about the first image of a black hole. Now what's the big deal about it? Why is it all over the news? And why is everyone talking about it and making memes about it? Recently, a network of radio telescopes spread across the Earth called the Event Horizon Telescope pieced together petabytes of data to unveil the first ever image of a black hole. Now, this is one of the most monumental feats of human ingenuity, engineering and curiosity to date. But why is it such a big deal? How can we see a black hole in the first place when space itself is black? And why is that orange blurry image so groundbreaking? Let me break this down for you. So on the 10th of April, a group of researchers from a variety of fields unveiled this image. This experiment had first been proposed by Professor Heino Falke of Radboud University in the Netherlands. He told BBC News this about the black hole that he found in galaxy called M87. What we see is larger than the size of the entire solar system, he said. It has the mass of 6.5 billion times that of the sun, and it is one of the heaviest black holes that we think exists. It is an absolute monster, the heavyweight champion of black holes in the universe. So this massive black hole is around 55 million light years away from Earth. That means the light that we can see in the image left the source 55 million years ago, shortly after the dinosaurs went extinct. By shortly, I mean about 10 million years. A mere blink in cosmic time. Now, we think most large galaxies have supermassive black holes at their center. M87 is no exception, and neither is our own home, the Milky Way. The black hole at the center of our galaxy is called Sagittarius A star, which is kind of obvious because it's kind of a star, I guess? Or at least used to be, maybe. Anyway, (laughs) moving on. This experiment also took an image of our own black hole, which is Sagittarius A star, but it's not much brighter than the image taken of the much more distant one since saggy star which is much smaller is just a mere four million times the mass of our sun the one in m87 is over a thousand times bigger than that and being 6.5 billion times the size of our sun so what is a black hole anyway Okay, I'm not going to make any Uranus jokes on this one, I promise. So moving on, let's, uh, let's move on. Like its name, a black hole is best described as a hole in space-time. It, Einstein first hypothesized it when he was working on the general theory of relativity. He imagined a situation where a very massive star dies and collapses in on itself. Something like what will happen to me if I keep putting on weight like this. Anyway, if you allow me to digress for a moment, I just want to go into a brief description of what happens when a star dies. A star is kept stable when its outward pressure of nuclear fusion balances out the inward pressure of gravity. When it burns through its hydrogen and moves on to fusing heavier substances like helium, 
and then carbon or oxygen and heavier stars, the balance begins to waver and it then expands and contracts a few times and then finally collapses and puffs out its outer layers of the atmosphere into what we can see as a planetary nebula. Stars like our sun then collapse into a white dwarf and bigger stars can go nova or supernova, the brightest event in the universe, of course, and can collapse into more massive objects like neutron stars, which are the weirdest things, really. Now, let's quickly dive into what these dead stars are. Now, a medium-sized star, like our sun, would collapse into a white dwarf. That's a very small object, but almost as massive as a star. It's also incredibly dense. A more massive star than our sun would collapse into a neutron star, where the gravity would be so strong that all its protons and electrons would get squished together to make neutrons. It's essentially a single massive atom, or even arguably an atomic nucleus. To know more about these, there's a video that I've linked in the description, which you really need to check out from Kurzgesagt. Now, there's another kind of neutron star, which are called, actually, two types of neutron stars called pulsars and magnetars. Now, these are essentially neutron stars, but with weird properties that they display, like massive magnetic fields, in the case of the magnetars, that emit very, very high radiation, like X-rays and gamma rays or rapid regular pulses of radio waves, which are the pulsars, which emit radio waves at up to 700 times a second. Now, a quasar is another kind of dead star. Now, these are otherwise called quasi-stellar radio sources, but I think quasars roll off the tongue a bit better. Quasars give off a massive amount of radiation, which we can see as radio waves and are thought to be about the size of a solar system. It was calculated that the only way a body would give off such an amount of radiation would be if there was a black hole at its center, which brings us back to Einstein. So Einstein wondered what would happen if a star that was so massive and collapsed into itself so violently when it died that it would form a body with so much mass and in turn so much gravity that even light couldn't escape it. If light, the fastest massless particle or wave in existence, couldn't escape, neither could anything else. This kind of body could potentially rip a hole through space-time where things would fall in but could never come out. I think all the ballpoint pens I've ever owned have fallen into a black hole somewhere. Now, all the laws of physics could break down in such a place. Einstein didn't like the idea, but couldn't help but accept that it was very possible. Since this time, astrophysicists have gone on to discover all these different types of dead stars, including quasars, which most probably had a black hole at its center. We have focused our most powerful telescopes at these objects and seen the evidence of their existence, but we never got to see one face to face. After all, it's a black hole and space is black too. So how the hell can we see such a thing? We can see its influence on its surroundings. For instance, a quasar is seen because of the high energy radio waves emanating from the disk of matter falling into a black hole. This accretion disk 
orbits at nearly light speed and heats up due to friction up to millions of degrees Celsius, we can see that radiation. So you must be wondering, why haven't we managed to take a picture of a black hole until now? The plumes of superheated gas ejected from the poles of the black hole can be visible, as is the glow from the accretion disk. But the black hole is tiny, and it's a tiny dark spot in the middle of all of this, which is theorized to be the size of an atomic nucleus. That's the hard part of black hole astronomy. Now, as for the one in the middle of our own galaxy, we notice how the massive stars were orbiting at incredible speeds around an invisible point. A really freaky sight, if you ask me. One of these stars, called S2, has been reaching speeds of 5,000 kilometers per second at its closest approach to the black hole. There's a 10-year time lapse of stars orbiting Sagittarius A star on the net. Um, there are videos, there are GIFs, or GIFs if you call them that. You really need to go out there, just Google time lapse of stars orbiting Sagittarius A star and just check it out. It's amazing. Now, the black hole at the center of M87 was chosen because of its sheer size and level of activity meaning how much matter it's actually eating. And of course, the more matter it's eating, the more radiation it's going to give out, so it becomes easier to see. Now, our own black hole, Sagittarius A-star, was chosen because it's so much closer to home, and we've been trying to see it for a very long time. But the scientists working on this problem had one challenge to overcome. They calculated that the telescope they needed to be able to see these black holes up close would have to be the size of the Earth. And it had to be a radio telescope because radio waves would be the only wavelength of electromagnetic waves that could reach across all the space and through all the dust and gas in between. I'm going to let this sink in for a bit. At the telescope, the size of the planet we live on. You're probably wondering, how is that even possible? Now, the only way to make this happen thanks to this ingenious collection of scientists who came together, was to use eight arrays, and each array is a collection of many individual antennae. So eight arrays of radio telescopes spread across the planet and then stitch all the data from them together and make it seem like it was taken by a telescope the size of a planet. This method is also called very long baseline interferometry. So that's what the group of over 200 researchers from 59 institutes across 29 countries did. After a lot of persuasion by Professor Heino Falke, the European Research Council agreed to fund the project to the tune of 40 million British pounds sterling. This network of telescopes came to be called the Event Horizon Telescope. They focused on the target black holes and collected massive amounts of data in the process. Now, back in MIT, in the United States, a PhD student by the name of Dr. Katie Bowman created an algorithm that would sort through all these petabytes of data that was collected and flown in from all the radio telescopes. The face of Katie Bowman 
when the algorithm finally spits out the image of the black hole has already gone viral. If you haven't seen it, you should check it out. I mean, it's a look of absolute delight and amazement. And we should all be looking like that when we're looking at the pictures of the black holes. So you're now you're thinking, so what? So you got a picture of a black hole. What is, so what? So the images of the black holes are blurry because of their size and their distance. But their importance is monumental. Now we have come so far from Einstein's first theories describing this hypothetical object. Through the years, it has become the muse of scientists like Stephen Hawking and storytellers like Christopher Nolan and so many more. Black holes are an idea that is so bizarre that it fires up the imaginations of everyone who comes across it. Now, over the years, astrophysicists have added the, to the study of black holes, building up on Einstein's work with current observations, calculations, and theories. And they have produced models and predictions of how a black hole will look and behave. And a lot of these were actually used by Kip Thorne, an astrophysicist and a scientific consultant to the movie Interstellar to help with the special effects. And uh, so he consulted with the special effects team of the movie and created a very realistic representation of Gargantua, which is the black hole around which the whole movie revolved and the reason for its mind-bending ending. The visual representation is said to be the most accurate simulation of a black hole ever, and has been used for further research into the topic. Now, the reason why this image doesn't look like the one from the movie is that we're looking at it from above, closer to one of the poles, and of course, that this is the real thing, and that was a simulation for a movie, and those are special effects. Of course. Of course, there have been other models created by astrophysicists that, since then that look at all the variations of a black hole uh, and how it can manifest for observations made like the one by the EHT. Now, what you see is the glowing ring around the black hole. Now, this glowing ring is the super hot accretion disk that's spinning into the black hole. Some of the matter is traveling at almost half the speed of light and has transformed into plasma, the state of matter beyond solid, liquid, and gas that is superheated. And the central dark area is the actual black hole's event horizon, both from the back and the front. First, the event horizon is the boundary around a black hole beyond which light cannot escape. And nothing can escape, really. Now, light is actually being bent quite violently around the black hole over here. Can you imagine if someone took a picture of you if light bent around you like that? You would be at the center, and around you would be this weird warped halo of your whole back from heel to head, like the freakiest circus mirror you've ever seen, like, you know, one of those freaky warped mirrors which make you look either fat or thin or weird wobbly with a big head whatever it is that's what you would look like so this is the black hole the front and the back all together now of course since the event horizon is black we can't really make out what's the front and what's the back whatever light does come through from there that's what you get to see now the most amazing thing about this is that all those predictions and models that were made were confirmed in these images. Once again, Einstein's predictions 
had been validated in yet another aspect of reality. And you know what? Even if the image of the black hole was different, and Einstein and all his successors were proven wrong, and this whole branch of astrophysics had to be scrapped, it would still be a celebration. Because if all of this is wrong, it must mean there's a different answer. And that we have so many more questions to ask. And so much more work to do. That's science, people. Science revels in questions. It loves being proven wrong as much as it gets proven right. And that is the power of science. This is the pinnacle of human curiosity. This is what happens when people from across the world work together towards a seemingly impossible goal. This is what happens when we stand on the shoulders of giants and still try to prove them wrong. And when we use evidence and observations together to find the amazing wonders of reality, fortune tellers have absolutely nothing on the amazing predictions that science can make. This is why it's important to always question the status quo, to always strive for evidence-based answers, and to always be curious about the universe around us and within us. To check out the blog version of this episode, as well as the citations and references used, please go to rationable.wordpress.com. Thank you so much for listening. If you have any comments, ideas, or suggestions, please write to me at contact.rationable at gmail.com or tweet at berationable. Until next time, keep digging deeper and, of course, be rationable.